Welcome to the Mojo Rising podcast, where I, Julie Stevens, reveal the most powerful ways to make cancer suck less. I was diagnosed on June 14, 2022, with stage four aggressive, inoperable, and chemo-resistant colon cancer with a 14% chance of survival. By using data and the very best of conventional and traditional healing to guide my holistic approach, I was able to fully heal my stage four colon cancer in nine months. If I would have followed the standard of care offered by most American oncologists, I would be dead. I created this podcast to share everything I've learned to help you have the most enjoyable, efficient, and effective healing journey possible. If you or someone you care about is a newly diagnosed cancer patient, this is the podcast for you. For more information and to access the resources we've built for patients to make cancer suck less, please go to mojohealth.org and become a member of the Mojo Movement. Now it's time to get your Mojo Rising. Well, welcome to the first episode of Mojo Rising. You're joined today by Julie Stevens. And I'm Oscar Sierra. And we're going to start our episode with a story. And this is a pretty exciting and inspirational and, 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 and frankly, life-saving story about how the two of us worked together to save my life over the past year. So to give you a little bit of the background, um, I was 43, uh, no diagnosis, no, um, no, no symptoms, no family history. Um, I just simply had gone to my, my original doctor to get a physical and she found low iron. So I, she, we figured there might be a problem with something in my stomach. Um, I thought it was going to be an ulcer, frankly, cause that had a lot of stressful things happening between the pandemic and work and changing family, family dynamics. And so I went to see my gastro expecting to be told, woken up and told I had an ulcer. And in fact, he woke me up and told me I had colon cancer and the tumor was so large, they couldn't get the infant size camera to the other side. So we were not dealing with um, early stage cancer. It was certainly later progressed, but we had no idea where it was. So he sent me on my very merry way to go talk to a surgeon and start to get some data to understand really what we were working with. Um, I met with a surgeon that next Monday and she scheduled a, a CT scan. And shortly thereafter, about a month later, I had my official surgery scheduled in order to do a laparoscopic um, right hemicolectomy and remove about 12 inches of my colon. Unfortunately, between the time it was scheduled and the time um, uh, the, the surgery was actually to be, um, my colon actually closed and I stopped being able to eat or process any foods. So I had to go in for a very quick um, right hemicolectomy um, they had to do some significant work to get the bile out and get me ready. Um, but within an, a day or so, I had surgery, a foot of my colon removed, 80 or 61 lymph nodes, and my appendix. Um, it was a tough, a tough uh, path report we received back because they told me that the cancer had actually spread to eight of 61 lymph nodes. And I was staged between a 3C and stage four, which meant chemo wasn't an option. And I was now fighting for my life. The first oncologist came to see me when I was in the, in the hospital, and she told me it was going to be six months of chemotherapy. Every two weeks, I would go in to get a, uh, an infusion and then have two days at home with an at-home chemotherapy infusion through uh, a port. And then they would, after six months, do a test for efficacy to look at a PET scan. For some reason, in that very moment, I, I broke down and I said, no, 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 that's not the way I want to do it. I need to measure and test for efficacy in between each chemotherapy session. 
this wasn't because I even understood that chemo resistance was a thing. It was purely because I understood that I could withstand any headwinds this treatment gave me if I knew I was winning the war on cancer. And the first oncologist dismissed me and said, that's not how we do it, honey. We'll measure at the end of six months. And I couldn't be more grateful that my reaction was to say, well, then I'm not going to do chemotherapy. So it took me a couple of days to get home from the cert from the hospital and begin to think about what am I going to do? Because I have late stage cancer and I, I need to do something, but I'm not going to put six months of, toys, of toxin and poison in my body without actually measuring for efficacy. Enter Oscar. I had had a cousin who was very, very near and dear to me call me repeatedly and tell me how important it was that I met with this gentleman who's an herbalist in Atlanta. He'd set Oscar up as, listen, he's an Oscar. He's the cancer specialist of your dreams. You need to go meet with him. He's going to help you figure out your strategy. But frankly, I thought when I walked into Oscar's office that first day, I was going to meet with a pretty big hippie, that he was going to tell me about my chakras and tell me about, um, you know, the things I needed to do and not do. And I didn't think I was going to find someone that was going to be my partner and helping me save my life. I, I always love this part about when you met me because it's 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 funny to get someone's first impressions, uh, especially funny and awesome to get someone's first impressions who you know and trust and, and consider a friend and someone that you look up to to see like, what the hell were you thinking when you first saw me, right? But let's back up to before you met me. First, I want to bring up that it's kind of amazing, like... So before you were, uh, th that you, you had the doctor there, the oncologist say, we're going to do six months of chemo. You had kind of been on board with the, the medical procedures and, um, questions that, that were on, on the table, right. You, you know, so what is this and let's get a scan and, uh, let's figure out where else it is and let's see what's in the lymph nodes, right? Like you weren't resistant to any of that. You weren't, you weren't resistant to just to the, the treatment about, hey, we're, your colon closed up. We got to do something about that. And you're like, yes, yes, we do. In fact, need to do something about this. And uh, as any reasonable person would, and uh, and you were on board with collecting data, as you say, you're calling yourself a data G. Uh, um, but I, you know, you're not a chemotherapy or cancer expert. And correct me if I'm wrong, you weren't kind of categorically in favor or against chemo. You simply were trying to get some data to figure out what you were dealing with, right? Well, and what I was categorically against was six months of anything without testing for efficacy. It did not meet the basic scientific method that I'd learned in middle school of you you do it, you know, an intervention and then you test for efficacy and then you measure for outcomes. And that to me was like the basis of any scientific principle. So what they were asking me to do did not follow the basis of science. And so that was the first red flag of, wait a minute, why would we possibly do this and not measure in between. You 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 were given an option, and and they said it was the only option that that you were going to do this chemo uh, for six months. And you said, wait, hold on. What about what if it's not working after the first month? Right. I mean, that was that was your question, which is a reason which is a reasonable question. You're not you don't know you know what the ins and outs are of the different uh, approved FDA treatments. Uh, within the realm of chemo or surgery or immunotherapy or any of these things, right? Like you're, you don't, you don't know, uh, you don't know, and you don't know, you know, what the basis for the, you know, is it a platinum-based chemo or a, a taxol-based chemo or a, you know, cytotoxic and uh, 
in this way or that way type of chemo. You just said, there's a, they just said, here's a treatment and we're going to do it for six months. And you said, well, what if it doesn't work? And they said, well, I I didn't know that chemo ever didn't work. That's how naive I was. I thought if you did chemo, it worked, but I'd seen a dear friend who was a corpse with a pulse after chemotherapy and she was miserable. But I knew I'm such a data G that if I had dated a show, it was winning the war. I could withstand the corpse moments. I didn't realize it was possible chemo might not work. That's what I'm saying. I was so naive that I didn't know there were treatment options I should consider or that my doctor wouldn't know everything that was on the table. But the truth of the matter is, as I learned, not only were there multiple options, but chemo resistance is very real. In fact, I was chemo resistant. So that's the, the wild part of I had no idea what I was doing was saving my life. I just knew it didn't meet my basic needs of data. So I walk into Oscar's office a little afraid, a little nervous, and having no idea what I was going to do, but knowing I had to do something. And this man right here asked me a couple questions right off the butt. The first was he said, why don't you want to do what your doctor recommended? And I said, because they won't test for efficacy. And he goes, I can fix that. And he goes, what else? And I said, I'm afraid I'm never going to feel as good as I feel right now and that it's going to ruin my body. And he goes, I can prepare you for chemo. Okay, what else are you worried about? And he systemically went through every single one of the fears I had and taught me how I could equip myself and prepare myself to better educate and empower and and and, and have the, the, the cancer experience of my dreams. So Oscar, I, I mean, I think you're giving me way too much credit thinking of what I knew about cancer medicine. All I knew was I needed medicine but I knew that the way they wanted to do it wasn't a way that I was willing to consider. So enter you where you're like, I got you. And that was the beginning of our partnership, which truly the very, I walked out of his office the first day and I was like, I'll do chemo. I just won't do it their way. He's going to teach me how to track incremental data so I can look at my blood and understand effectiveness and measure how this is. But before that, he's going to pump my body up in all the right ways. So I'm not going to have the side effects my friend had. I'm not going to be a corpse with a, with, a, with a pulse because I am going to prepare myself for this. And I'm going to make sure my body is going into this with a full armor of nutrients and botanicals and nutraceuticals. I'm going to do what I need to do to get my body fully prepared from an exercise and a rest perspective. You set me up for success in such a beautiful way. I never thought about looking at tumor markers and other markers, data markers, uh, A, as a data G which I think we both share. I just never never thought of such a cool name until I met you. And I never really thought of it like you did, but that you said that there are leading indicators and there are lagging indicators. I don't know if that's a term that you use in your profession with industrial psychology, but that's brilliant. And I've, and I've ripped that off of you ever since then that I've been you know saying that with patients, especially if they have like a business uh, background or mindset, but that's, that's exactly right. There are, there are, there are ways to assess what happened, uh, and there are ways to assess what's happening and what what is the trend in what might be likely to be happening in terms of both what's up with the cancer and in terms of what's up with the person and the host and, and their health and vitality. And so, yeah, I never really thought about it that way, but we assess data uh, of both of what's up with the person and then intervene to get the person, you know, jumping higher, running faster, feeling better, sleeping more sound. And we assess the cancer, not just how big it is and where the geography of it is, but um, you know what are 
what are the predilections of this particular cancer and how is it different from other colon cancers and how is it the same as other colon cancers and what might it respond favorably to and unfavorably to and how can we track that digression or progression without waiting for a PET scan every four to six months, right? So um, anyway, you've, you've given me some good vocabulary, lexicon and, and verbiage to share with, with other smart uh, business-minded people. And I think that's actually one of the biggest things you taught me in that first session was doctors and other people look at this as if it's colon cancer, which is like the same as knowing if something is a male or a female. But I'm going to teach you how to look at this cancer and understand if it's a male wearing Reeboks with blue eyes, who's a left-handed, who has O positive blood. So I'm going to help you get very precise in how we treat and measure and effectively eradicate this cancer, as well as how we heal the host. And no one had said that to me before. And that to me was really important of your doctor is now working within a taxonomy of colon cancer at this stage. That is the thinking from 1980. In 2023, we now have genomics, which you helped me get, which allowed us to understand my colon cancer was a GCRAS13D tumor. And because of that, we knew the day before chemo started that chemo would most likely not work for me. And my doctor did not know that. So I think that's a really important thing of you help me get very specific down to the exact type of cancer I have, which allowed me to research across all the different types of cancers. And it was actually research about lung cancer that helped illuminate that chemo resistance might be a real thing for me to consider, which I think is really cool. Anyway, quickly, you go back to the story. So um, had my surgery July 14th, started chemotherapy September 14th. That was really important because they'd mentioned that it was really critical to have like six to eight weeks between surgery and your first treatment in order to have the best outcomes. But the truth of the matter is, is I could have gone through all six months of chemotherapy and it wouldn't have done a dang thing for my cancer because my cancer doesn't respond to chemotherapy. I went into my doctor that very first day when I got my genomic testing back and said, Hey, oncologist, I'm pretty sure chemo is not going to work for me. Can we consider immunotherapy? And his response was, trust me, I know science. You have stage 3C localized cancer. This is what works for you. And so I did, and I started my, my, my chemotherapy experience. Luckily, Oscar was in my corner and was teaching me how to track my data. So after the first chemotherapy, he measured all these different blood markers and come to find out for me, it was CA199 was a really good indicator. And that had gone up after my first chemotherapy. And he said, Julie, all right, this could be because you've got a lot of cancer dust in your system, or it could be that chemotherapy isn't working. So let's do one more chemo. We'll pull the same test and we're going to see and test this efficacy. And after my second chemotherapy session, it got even worse. It had gotten higher. And so right away, we knew chemo resistance was a real thing. So um, we'll, we'll put a bookmark on that. So, you know, these are leading indicators, as you say, for you know, what's up with the cancer. And in the meantime, you were doing pretty well as far as not having major side effects. But my favorite part that you left out about this whole experience, you know, wasn't how we we kind of put some armor on you and a helmet and taught you Kung Fu before we sent you into the, the battle, you know, uh, to withstand the conventional onslaught of chemotherapy. You know, we do that every day and that's cool, but not not as fun as, as something you left out. So between you getting diagnosed and uh, and going to the ER and having surgery and the first chemo. What else happened that has nothing to do with uh, 
with herbs or conventional medicine that you decided to be Julie about? Okay, so this is a big moment, and you have a moment right now as you're diagnosed. You can live in fear or you can live in joy. And if you know me, you know my mantra is maximize joy. And that's the only way I'm going to choose to live my life. Going through this and being diagnosed and being told you have cancer, being told you have a 14% chance of living with cancer is pretty awful in every way. But I decided no matter how much time I had left in this planet, I was going to have as much humanly possible fun as I could before my expiration date came. So when I went to my infusions, I couldn't throw big parties at my house because I was worried about my health. So instead, when I went to my infusions, I throw theme parties. My first one was a luau, and it happened to be on the day that my healthcare center was going through a major electronic medical record shift. And I walk in with a trolley full of lays and cookies, and I had hand-stamped and hand-hammered um, bracelets for 60 people that said, ride the wave, and I had postcards and stickers and I mean, you name it, we had it. We had fun sunglasses. And it was a pretty somber and serene infusion or or experience, as you can imagine, where it's dead silent. And all of a sudden, I walk in and ask the very first person, you want to get laid in chemo? And the laughter started, the smiles started, and the conversation started. And it was like a ripple of joy took over this infusion center with 60 of us in there. So yes, I am highly analytical and was tracking my data and gathering all this information and trying to build this holistic strategy to give myself every advantage. But I was having a hell of a lot of fun as I did it too. So what about, what about outside the infusion room parties? Um, what about, what about the, the, the love with that, that we both share for music? Tell people what you did. Oh, are you talking about the concert I got to go to? Yeah. Yeah. All of the concerts. How many concerts did you go to between being diagnosed and starting chemo? Oh, probably. Oh, probably being diagnosed and starting chemo went to three. Um, so it was very, very, very short. Once I started chemo and I decided this was so bad and I could handle this and I wasn't going to let anything stop me if I had a shorter time. I, I think I saw between 40 and 50 concerts while I was in cancer treatment. Including outside of Georgia, including outside the United States of America. Including I went to a music festival in Mexico in January um, which is actually where I knew in my heart I was cancer free during that experience because I felt so I, I felt better than I'd ever felt before. I was on top of my game. So I um, yeah, I didn't do cancer like normal people. I didn't take on the role of patient. I didn't feel bad for myself. Instead, I grabbed data and used it as my guide. I empowered myself to advocate and negotiate, frankly, with doctors to get the care that I knew I deserved. And I had as much fun as possible. I lived in gratitude and had joy. Um, my very first concert experience, when I was a little scared to go to a concert after I'd started treatment, my chiropractor actually invited me to go see Soundtribe Sector 9 up at the Caverns in Tennessee. I was able to meet the entire band, have this amazing experience. I danced as much as I possibly could. And I realized that dancing is a form of therapy and is a form of medicine. And for me, that's how I got my chi or my vitality or my mojo moving again. So that part of this cancer experience is something that nobody talks about. And it's something that I had in the beginning. If you would have gone in my, my patient room when I was in surgery, I had a speaker system. I had pictures up everywhere. I had flags hanging. I gave everyone who walked into my room a sticker and I invited them as part of Team J. I made this experience mine. 
So it was a completely different experience than I think most patients have. Or you tell me, has have you ever had a patient that did this quite the way I did? Uh, not even close. And I have a I have a lot of awesome patients, a lot that 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 um, that I consider friends, and um, none none has done it like the rock star party goer that Julie Stevens is. I mean, who who goes during you know chemo to to many rock concerts? And, you know, I, I joke with people that we're going to measure the tumor markers and the health markers. And if the, if the health markers, you know, like your CRP, your magnesium, your zinc, and, you know, how strong your grip is and how strong your, your pulse is, if those get better, as in the CRP going down, magnesium and the zinc going up, the copper going down, blah, blah, blah. So if, if the host markers get better and the tumor markers like the CEA or CA199 or, or the Signatera, you know, circulating tumor cell DNA test go lower than whatever intervention there was, be it Oscar's herbs or the doctor's chemotherapy, or you're singing or dancing at a rock concert in Mexico, then, you know, do more of that because that's working. And if it's not, then change the dance, change the prayer, change the sing, you know, do something different. It's just logic and common sense. So you want to see the person, the host getting stronger, the vitality getting better, at least holding steady. And you want to see the cancer vitality going down. And it's just that simple. I don't care what the intervention is. I don't care if it's singing, dancing, chemotherapy, you know, uh, pan widespread panic at La Playa, uh, or, you know, death metal or Chopin, whatever works, man, you know, I'm open to all of it. And I like the stuff that seems to have a track record that's not just since 1980. I like the stuff that, you know, has been around for a couple thousands of years or, but I like the stuff best that works. So anyway, back to your story. I just wanted to point out how, you know, uh, Julie does cancer a little bit different. And and I encourage you to do the same because you might as well have fun for whatever you're doing, but, but okay. So yeah, I, do, I, you I do it your way, right? Like, you know, Julie's, Julie's, Preternatural ability is to throw rock and parties, be it at an infusion suite or at her home, uh, which is very fun, by the way, uh, or wherever. You know, some people might have a knack for knitting and they can, you know, bring their knitting game to the infusion room and share it with other patients or drawing or I don't know, you know, like whatever it is. But people need to tap into the things that make them flow, not just function. I'm, I'm pretty good at that helping your kidneys function and your liver function, you know, before, during, and after a surgery or chemotherapy or radiation. But, um, but I can't tell you how to flow because, you know, my flow state is plain sax and, um, you know, ask me to draw and I can draw you a cat with a crayon. That's about it. Uh, you know, everyone flows differently, but, but you you found your flow, and that I think is a really critical part to your success. Is not just the function piece, but as David Data says, you know that's one thing. A, a totally separate thing is flow, for sure. So that's and I think that's actually it's interesting that you say that because you know I started chemo in September, went through two sessions, and so at the end of October we realized this isn't going to work. This isn't the right approach. It's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to treat my cancer. Well, that's about when we got the good, uh, new genomics back that, that kind of, you know, it wasn't my prediction that you would be chemo resistant, but I, I said, I would hate for you to do chemo for fun. And there are ways to predict that. And 
the test is going to take several weeks, assuming you can get it done tomorrow yeah. to get the results back. And when we finally did get the results back, they were consistent with the tumor marker going up rather than down. And, um, and yeah, that's when we pulled the plug on chemo. So it was interesting because I actually texted my oncologist and said, Hey, I'm, I'm chemo resistant. I'd like to move to immunotherapy. And he wrote back and he goes, you're not chemo resistant. Julie, like at the data you're tracking isn't real. And I said, okay, I'm going to put it to you this way. I'm not coming back in for chemotherapy. You pull whatever interventions or diagnostics you want to pull to prove or disprove my hypothesis, but I'm not coming back for my, for my chemotherapy appointment. I'd like to come back for uh, an immunotherapy appointment. So whatever you need to do. So he ordered a CT DNA test and he ordered a PET scan. And when we got the PET scan results back, cancer was indeed all over my body. It was extremely aggressive. It was now in places that were inoperable and I am chemo resistant. So that was a moment in time that I'll never forget when I knew that our partnership and the data that you'd help me help me collect would be the, the pivot that allowed me to move fast to find how I could treat cancer. So the doctor, once he saw the results from the PET scan of the CT DNA, off, was very happy to move to immunotherapy. So at the beginning of November, that is when I went to that concert I mentioned um, in the Catburns and realized how important it was to dance. It's when I found and dialed in the right treatment for how I can treat cancer and the pharmaceutical approach that would work. But we'd been doing the, the nutraceuticals, the botanicals, the diet and lifestyle, the holistic therapies. I had a 10-person healthcare team working on me from oncologists and therapists and primary care physicians to reflexologists and chiropractors and acupuncturists and, and, and Oscar, my herbalist, et cetera. So I had a lot of different things happening. I dialed in five of the six toolboxes, but in November, I was able to dial in that sixth toolbox, which is the pharmaceutical. Luckily for me, I'm one of the people that immunotherapy worked beautiful for, but it wasn't because of a lack of effort that it was so easy. Oscar taught me that immunotherapy can go off the rails if you have too much inflammation, or there are things that you, you can do to really make sure that this treatment will be effective. So he dialed me in. He had my body ready to accept immunotherapy. He'd gotten me off of my omeprazole for my um, for, for heartburn. He had made sure that my body was in tip-top condition from a vitamin D and vitamin K and magnesium and all these different different areas. But he also made sure that my body was as low in inflammation as possible. So he ordered this test called an ELISA. The ELISA took some blood and then measured different inflammatory markers from all sorts of different allergens. Now, one part of my story I didn't share was for 13 years, I've had chronic idiopathic urticaria. That means I some days I would wake up and I had hives from head to toe. I couldn't walk. I couldn't hold things in my hands. I could barely move. I was so miserable. I'd been to experts from coast to coast. They'd done countless skin tests for me, and all they did was throw me in more pharmaceuticals. So when I went into surgery, I was taking biologics twice a month, so shots in my arm for this. I took up to eight Zyrtec a day, as well as three different pharmaceuticals. This one test that Oscar did unlocked not only how I could ensure that my immunotherapy would work more effectively, but it also made sure it also eradicated my hives. So for the first time in 13 years, I'm not on any medications other than a thyroid hormone. So Oscar not only healed my stage four cancer, he healed my body from all the other ailments that had been facing me. And I think that's really important. I wasn't targeting one. I was going through the whole for whole health. And that's what I've been able to do. So through this process, I've been able to get cancer free, get off of all my pharmaceuticals, fix all my, all my other health issues, lose 100 pounds, which is a good thing, 
figure out how I can be have joy and gratitude in my heart. Uh, like I can't say enough. Like I am better as a result of having cancer. Oscar, is that typical? Uh, I'd say it's when you find healing, which is what we help people do. We don't ever say we treat, well, you know, we're not legally allowed to say that we treat cancer because, you know, we all know that the only people that are able to treat cancer are oncologists, right? Um, and, you know, I'm okay with that uh, because I don't want that burden on my shoulders either to, you know, cure cancer. Uh, but we're really good at just helping people feel better, sleep better, jump higher, run faster, remind them of their flow state, uh, help them get off of meds that are not helping them, help them get onto diet, lifestyle, nutraceutical, botanical uh, friends that can bathe their cells in um, mojo, mojo for healing. So uh, that's the fun part of what we do. And yeah, it is, it is 360 degrees. Sometimes you know, I'll be honest, and I don't really know how to how to treat a cancer, but I'm pretty damn good at helping people sleep better or not have hives. So yeah, I happened to this last weekend. I was uh, driving to New Hampshire, and I and I visited with Ross Jaffe, the MD PhD guru, 80 year old um, connected wizard, published author that uh, that developed this Eliza uh, ACT lymphocyte response assay, and um, you know, was that treating your cancer? No, it was identifying what was getting your immune system to go cuckoo. And if we were going to do immunotherapy, we definitely needed to have a stable, functioning, and effective immune system because that's the that's the horse that this drug rides into battle. And if it's not functioning well and in a balanced, not too hyper or hypo kind of way, then it can be it can be effective. And by it, I mean the pharmaceutical, which we dialed in the correct pharmaceutical. So. We love botanicals and diet and lifestyle and breathing and yoga and exercise and dancing. And in um, severe and aggressive cancers, you have to reach for all the all the tools in all of the available toolboxes. So, uh, yeah, that that you know that's a that's a test that just kind of identifies, you know, what's causing harm and stopping that. So the first rule of medicine is, of course, stop doing harm. So, you know, doing things that improves your health is awesome, but you have to sometimes just stop doing the things that are digging your hole deeper. So that that was that was a good test. And I recommend everyone that that does immunotherapy or really that has any kind of immune related issues, which is many and most, maybe, uh, do something like that test or something like it. The truth of the matter is, so I was diagnosed in June of 14, surgery July of 14. Hemo started in September, September 14th. I started immunotherapy November 2nd, and I was declared no evidence of disease or cancer-free by the end of February. So in nine months, I was able to pivot from diagnosis to healing, which is something that no one on the planet thought was possible. Even my primary care physician said to me, Julie, I didn't think we were going to have a one-year checkup. So that was the level of shock and awe my healthcare team had at the experience I had, but this wasn't a miracle. It was applying all of the available science and all the available tools that are out there today that just aren't harnessed in one easy place for cancer patients to use, which is why we're here today. Oscar, I should take a minute because we I've told people about what you taught me and what you've done for me, but they don't actually know how you got here. So will you take a quick minute and just give a, a quick 
introduction around who you are and your education. Uh, yeah, uh, got into this kind of by accident with the martial arts that uh, got me into qi and flow and pressure points and yin and yang, and that got me into Chinese medicine, which got me into Chinese uh, herbs, which got me into all the other herbs. I got my degree in nutrition science at UGA, which gave me some science basics. And then I thought it would be fun to combine the Western thinking of science with the Eastern understanding of flow and balance and yin and yang and energetics of hot and cold and damp and dry. And uh, started clinical practice in 2008. Uh, found Donnie Yance kind of by accident, had a similar kind of miraculous, I didn't even know what I was doing. And I followed some of Donnie Yance's stuff not even reading his full books. And then I thought, holy cow, this stuff's amazing. I went and saw him, was blown away at his uh, breadth and depth of knowledge because I've met experts in Chinese medicine. They don't typically know a whole lot about genetics. I've met experts in genetics. They don't typically know anything about herbs. I know Chinese herbalists. They don't typically know a whole lot about Western herbs that grow in the backyard here in Atlanta, Georgia. I've met uh, people that know about herbs in uh, their backyard in Atlanta, Georgia, but they can't memorize or recite the different steps in the Krebs cycle or the citric acid cycle or recite the pathways in cancer, you know, PI3K, KRAS, uh, PIC3, mTOR. And, uh, and I could kind of keep up with all of these different types of individuals because I have a little bit of knowledge in all those things, but I'd never met anyone that had a deep knowledge in all of those things until I met Donnie Yance, which was drinking from the fire hose. And I said, I want to drink from that fire hose. And so since 2011, I've been drinking the fire hose and now I'm on his payroll at Madiri Center for Natural Healing in, in Oregon. I work remotely there, but mostly have my own clinical practice here where I uh, dial in a lot of the Donnie ETMS stuff, eclectic triphasic medical system stuff with uh, not just cancer patients, but any kind of patient from, you know, moms and their families that I've been working with since 2010, probably to, uh, that just, just kind of, you know, living normal American lives and trying to stay healthy and, uh, to, you know, stage four cancer patients that have been through the ringer. So, uh, that's the, that's a skinny on Oscar. And let me give you guys a little bit of background on me as well and kind of how I got to be where I am today. I have a, over a 20-year career history as an industrial organizational psychologist working within that consulting field in a variety of different roles from consultant to sales to marketing and, and product development. So my expertise is in building beautiful teams to effectively execute business strategy. My business strategy in this case just happened to be to save my life. But I also had a few other advantages, and that was as part of my career history, I actually went and worked with the American Hospital Association when Obamacare or PIPACA was rolled out in the two, early 2010 era. And I went and worked with them to redefine the talent requirements as a result of this new healthcare law and was a card-carrying member of the American College of Healthcare Executives. So I worked with numerous boards and healthcare leadership teams to drive through effective talent and business strategies. So I had some advantages in understanding the regulations and laws our doctors have to work within and how hospital systems make decisions. So I knew that going in. What I didn't understand was the patient perspective. And that's what I now can bring to bear as Oscar and I are co-founding an organization called Mojo Health. Mojo was designed to educate, inspire, and empower newly diagnosed patients to have the most effective and enjoyable healing, pos healing experience possible. We do this for bringing together educational resources, helping you build out a holistic healing strategy, researching and recommending products that are beneficial for healing, and teaching you your role and responsibilities as a patient. 
there were a couple of major learnings that changed the trajectory of my cancer journey. Things like tracking leading indicator or, or data that shows what's happening before it has happened. The second is preparing my body for interventions or chemotherapy or immunotherapy, making sure I was ready to accept the medicine and make it do the best job it possibly could. Three, doing my part around diet and lifestyle and exercise, preparing myself to be as healed as possible. And four, coming into this with joy and gratitude. And I think the interplay of all of those different factors led to the outcome that I was cancer-free in nine months. And our goal is to equip and enable you to have that same outcome. So we're working every single night and weekend and holiday so that we, we can bring to you the very best in learning that you need to effectively heal from cancer. And I didn't say treat cancer, I said heal from cancer. So I would ask of all, all of you guys to go and join the Mojo Movement. That's on Mojo, M-O-J-O, which stands for more joy mojohealth.org. Go join our Mojo movement. Let us know if there are topics that you'd like for us to hit or have a podcast around or do some research on or share facts and figures. We're here to help you make cancer suck less. Oscar, what else would you share is important for us as we share with people what we're doing around Mojo Health? We got so many cool stuff coming down the pipeline from the, um, I mean, you can talk about that, but I'm really exciting stuff to, to, as you say, you know, allow people to hit the easy button as a cancer patient and as a, as a physician also to have a better relationship with their, with their patient and, uh, maybe learn some new tools in their, in their toolbox, as well as at least be aware of tools that are not in their toolbox. So we're, we're not expecting oncologists to be an expert in, uh, genomics or in, Chinese herbal medicine or Ayurvedic medicine, but we do expect them to know that they exist. And uh, we expect them to be open to possibilities of health and healing that may be outside of their good, but limited toolboxes. Absolutely. So a couple of those things that Oscar mentioned, first thing is next month, which is in September, we will be launching my first book called Mojo Healing. Um, that book will be the basic story of how I built my holistic healing strategy. In October, Oscar and I head to Mexico City to launch our training class on co-creating the healthcare uh, team of your dreams or how to create a, palate, a holistic palliative care approach. Um, so that has been approved by six for six credits for any MD to come and learn from us by the American Academy of Family Physicians. Of course, you're listening to our podcast, so you know we've launched Mojo Ryzen. And we're also working in Q4 to launch a technology platform to allow you to use all of the research and best practices we have to build your own holistic healing strategy. But we're not stopping there. We're building out all sorts of different resources, educational opportunities, um, community building opportunities, networking. We want to make cancer suck less. Health so Sherpas, a registry. Absolutely. So come to us and tell us what you need in order to successfully heal in your journey. And we're gonna be helping to inspire and empower and educate you in everything we can to have the very best, efficient, effective, and enjoyable experience possible. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode of Mojo Ryzen. We have many more topics coming up. 
We're going to hit on some um, topics such as what is reflexology or how will chiropractic help in your journey, but also some of the more difficult conversations that are never discussed, such as what about fertility risk if you're a female um, cancer patient under the age of 40, or what should we do if we have a workplace drama or what are our rights as a worker? So we're not going to only hit with what you can do to build your strategy. We want to help you understand and unlock the knowledge and learnings you need to really have the best experience possible. Thank you so much for joining our first episode. We hope your mojo's rising and we've helped you think a little bit more about how to make cancer suck less. This is Julie Stevens signing off. See you guys. It's Oscar Sierra. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the ideas shared here, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star review on iTunes and Spotify. Please share this episode with anyone you think could benefit from the knowledge bomb we just dropped on you. You can find short video clips of the best moments from this episode at mojohealth.org and on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at mojohealth.org. For more information and to access the resources we've built for patients to make cancer suck less, please go to mojo health.org and become a member of the mojo movement thanks everyone for listening and we hope this episode has got your mojo rising disclaimer the views thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views thoughts and opinions of mojo health cooperative llc a georgia limited liability company its respective officers directors employees agents or representatives this podcast is presented by mojo health cooperative and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent the material and information presented here is for general information purposes only and not intended to supplant the expert advice and or consultation of a medical doctor and or a licensed physician and or an attorney in short this podcast is not intended to replace professional medical advice nor legal advice the mojo health name and all forms of abbreviation are the property of its owner and its use does not imply endorsement of or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. Again, none of the content of this podcast should be considered legal advice nor medical advice. As always, consult a lawyer and or a licensed physician in lieu of relying upon the advice of any of the participants of this podcast. The host or hosts of this podcast are not licensed lawyers, physicians, doctors of osteopath, nor medical doctors in any jurisdiction anywhere. The hosts of this podcast do not practice medicine and do not profess to be able to do any of the following. One, diagnose, heal, treat, prevent, prescribe, or removing any physical, mental, or emotional ailment or supposed ailment of any individual. Two, engage in the end of human pregnancy. Three, treat human ailments. Nor four, perform acupuncture. Mojo Health Cooperative LLC is not responsible for any losses damages or liabilities that may arise from the use of this podcast.